You're listening to the Sermon Podcast for The Gate Church in Lethbridge, Alberta. For more information, to contact us, or to support this ministry, please visit thegate.org. Hello again. It's uh, wonderful to see you all here this morning on the second Sunday of Advent, which we celebrated. Thank you to uh, Nora and Selah for um, reading and lighting the candles, which uh, this morning speaks of peace, the peace of Jesus, which uh, Christmas ushered into our lives that we can know both in the eternal sense of the peace of life that we have forever with him, but also the peace that we can know today as his spirit uh, dwells among us now as we praise him. Um, In this month that leads up to Christmas, we've been asking a question that's been asked by many people many ways, and that is, why Christmas? Or as I like to say it, why Christmas? (laughs) Just kidding, but uh, you know. Take it as you will. Why Christmas? Um, Our first answer to that question was last week, and uh, it came in the form of the word revelation. Pastor Greg shared with us that Christmas is for the revelation of who God is, God's character in the human form, right? The exact likeness of the Creator God in the man named Jesus, And what was more than this is that God not only revealed himself to humanity so that we could know about him and know him, but that God invites us to be known by him and to enter into that relationship with God. So first, Christmas happened for revelation. And today's message will explore the question of why Christmas from the perspective of repentance. Repentance. And let me tell you, I can't think of a less festive word than the word repentance. Repentance. Merry Christmas, y'all. It's time for eggnog and twinkling lights and repentance. (laughs) It doesn't have the same jingle to it as they say. To my knowledge, there are no Hallmark specials with that word in the title, repentance. It just doesn't have that vibe. So why on earth are we talking about repentance at Christmas time? Well, first of all, um, this is an Advent series, not a Christmas series. And that's, you know, kind of the same thing, but it's also not. Right? It's significant because Advent is less about celebration as it is about preparation. Okay, so Advent is looking forward to and anticipating the celebration of Christmas, but in this time, we are here to prepare, to prepare our lives and our hearts to wait, to wait for Christmas. So last week, my family and I were doing some preparing. We went out and bought a live tree because that's what we like to do at Christmas time, to bring a tree into our home. Um, And there's a place that we like to put the tree, but of course you can't just stick it there, can you? You have to uh, move things and rearrange and make some space if you're going to do that. Prepare the space. So we move the chair, and then the next step is finding the stand, the tree stand that was somewhere in my garage, and, and bringing that in. So we did that, and then we haul the tree inside. 
leaving a trail of pine needles, because that's what trees do when you bring them in your home. Um, needles everywhere, or as my uh, three-year-old calls them, uh, noodles. <laughs> Uh, so we were sweeping up the pine noodles, I mean pine needles, and uh, anyways, eventually we hoist up the tree into the stand, and uh, one of us is balancing it, and the other one is turning the little screws that clamp it into place to keep it straight, and things like that. Now, as we're getting it screwed into the base, you want it to be nice and tight, obviously, um, and as I turn, I hear a brittle cracking sound. Um, and the base of our tree, which has served us well for a decade, let us know that last Christmas was its final season. <laughs> Not this one, because it broke uh, beyond repair. It wasn't going to be able to hold this tree up anymore. So there's the tree in our house with a broken stand, and that's not quite what we expected, but... A uh, few Facebook Marketplace messages later, and I was hopped in the car going to the north side with five bucks in my hand to meet a stranger and get a new tree stand um, to put the tree up. So, the main thing about Advent is to prepare for Christmas in these days that lead up to it, and kind of like my living room, we have things that we can and should uh, change in order to prepare things that we should rearrange or do a little differently. And also, for many of us, as we attempt to do this, to prepare ourselves to embrace Christ in this season, we find that our efforts to prepare are far from perfect. They include frustrations and adjustments and replacements and so on. And so I share this anecdote because it's actually kind of an accurate metaphor for what it means for us to repent during the season of Advent or in life in general. And so you see, when we hear the word repentance and we shrink back a little bit and think, my goodness, how unchristmasy could you be? Um, I want to make it clear that repentance is not the same thing as feeling uh, guilt and shame it's not the same thing as beating yourself up. It's not even necessarily the same thing as saying I'm sorry for the thing that I've done or whatever. These things come to mind, right? We associate this with repentance because sometimes they're a part of the process. But to put it simply, to repent is to change. Well, that's one way to put it. To repent is to change. To see a situation that needs to be improved. Uh, repaired, saved, and to become aware of that and then make the choice which will lead us in a different direction towards something better. So I wanted to haul a dead tree into my house so I could enjoy decorating it with my family. But for this to happen, I needed to make those changes, actually more changes than I thought. Specifically, when we sat down to admire our beautiful tree, which we had decorated, and it fell towards us. <laughs> Once it was all said and done, it was on the ground. So we got to enjoy decorating it twice, um, which was fun. <laughs> 
we sent the kids to bed, and Chrislyn and I decorated it the second time. Uh, that did happen, but the point is, we make changes, we adjust, we repent towards the good things that we desire, not just in this season, but in life. On the other hand, if during Advent we cannot, or should I say we will not, we refuse to make the effort to change certain things in the spaces of our hearts, then we're going to find it very difficult to experience the wonder that is Christmas, the wonder of God as he came to earth in Jesus, his son, that we're about to celebrate and that we look forward to. So truly, repentance is a necessary part of this Christmas and Advent story, what we do to prepare our hearts and our lives to receive him, and we're going to talk more about that this morning. Um, I have a few passages to read that will uh, explain what we're talking about. They're short. The first one comes from Matthew chapter 3. The first two come from Matthew chapter 3, actually. But first we have... um, John, we call him John the Baptist. This is Jesus' cousin. And he is uh, talking to the people to prepare the way for them to welcome Jesus, the Messiah. So listen to what he says, Matthew 3, 1 to 2. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. So no, the Christmas cards and Hallmark specials are not going to call us to repent, but the scriptures will, the prophets will. They say repent because in the coming of Jesus Christ, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It has come close to you. It is near. And so this is how John the Baptist, filled with the Spirit of God, prepares the way for Jesus, tells the people to make way in their lives for him, to repent, to make changes in order to receive Jesus when he comes. Regular people, he's calling them to the river to be baptized, which symbolizes their repentance, and so they respond by doing just that. They're preparing for Jesus. Now, interestingly, a few verses later, we hear a second call to to repentance from John the Baptist, but this time it's harsher, and it sounds a little different because John here, in the verses I'm about to read, is talking to the people who most likely think that they don't uh, need to make changes to prepare their hearts for the Messiah, their lives for the Messiah. They think that they're already ready, and thus repentance is not necessary. So Matthew 3 to Uh, 7 to 10, hear these words. When John saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees, who were the religious leaders, coming to his baptism, he said to them, brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Therefore, produce fruit consistent with repentance. And don't presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you that God is able to raise up children for Abraham from these stones. The axe is already at the root of the tree. Therefore, 
Every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. So here we see two, in the passages, we see two reasons to repent. The first one is more basic. We recognize our sin, our need for forgiveness, and we repent for sin. We take this seriously. We commit to the changes that will prepare us to receive Jesus in this way. But the second reason seems more serious, and that's because it's, like I said, for those who don't admit that, they need to change in the first place. Those who assume that they're above and beyond the issues of sin and forgiveness, and in their place, they've adopted a spirit of pride and self-righteousness. And to this, John lashes out, and then he says, prove it. Prove it. Where's the fruit? Where's the fruit in your life? The good fruit that should be coming from your repentance or your religion or the life that you've made. Where is the fruit? So he wants the Pharisees' lives to change with the evidence in their behavior, not just in the things they say. And in doing so, he does say, that God's salvation will come to them. If not, in the kingdom of heaven, they will find no place. There will be no use for them. And they will be cut down and thrown into the fire. So it's serious. While we, while we reflect on John's words, I sense that on the one hand, if we're honest, we're prepared to repent for sin in the first call right, to think of, of actions that um, we've done that were wrong, that weren't perfect, or maybe things we haven't done, and to repent and change for those. So there's that. But at the same time, we have to very carefully ask ourselves, or rather ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us to see if we are like the second group who come, like the Pharisees and Sadducees, if we've been arrogant to assume that we don't need to change, right? If we, think, if we think more so about the changes that other people should be making than ourselves, like, like they need to get it together, not me, this type of reasoning. If we find ourselves thinking more like that, then pay attention to what John says about the fruit of repentance in your life, if that fruit is showing or perhaps how it could be showing more. And listen to the, the, the prophet's call to repent and to prepare the way for Jesus in your own life. Less pride, more Jesus. Now, as we consider these two things, of course, the good news of God's grace is that it is for all who turn from sin, whatever kind of sin it is, pride or something else, and run to Jesus, right? Whether you're um, a sinner or a Pharisee, who are also sinners, um, when we turn to Jesus, the grace is the same. He welcomes us all. Uh, Timothy Keller speaks to this in his uh, Christmas book, Hidden Christmas. He says, there is no one then, not even the greatest human being, who does not need the grace of Jesus Christ. And there is no one, not even the worst human being, who can fail to receive the grace of Jesus Christ if there is repentance and faith. Speaking 
Uh, speaking of Jesus, it isn't just John who makes these calls to repentance to prepare the way for him, but another passage uh, we hear from Jesus himself at the very beginning of Mark's gospel in chapter 1. Listen to what Jesus says. Mark 14, 1, and 1 to 15, after John was arrested, Jesus went to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. And here it is. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Repent and believe the good news. It's like John was arrested, and then he just passes the torch to Jesus. John was preparing the way for Jesus, wasn't he? Because Jesus is saying almost the same, same words. Commentators suggest that the two sentences in verse 15 are the best way to summarize Jesus' preaching ministry. It's just an interesting thing to think about. If you had to summarize what Jesus taught, what would it be? Well, you could turn to Mark 1, verse 15. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe this good news. So we're called by John in his prophet, prophetic voice, but we're called by our Savior himself, the same one who was born in the manger that we think about at Christmas time. That Savior calls us to repent, to change our lives in order to join this kingdom that he has brought near at his birth. Dallas Willard puts it this way in The Divine Conspiracy. He says, this is a call for us to reconsider how we have been approaching our life in light of the fact that we now in the presence of Jesus have the option of living with the surrounding movements of God's eternal purposes taking our life into his. I'm going to read that long sentence again. This is the call for us to reconsider, think about our choices, what changes we may be making or be called to make, how we've been approaching our life in light of the fact that we now in the presence of Jesus have the option of living within the surrounding movements of God's eternal purposes of taking our life into his. So there are reasons that Christmas indeed is for repentance. And it's because there's more to the story than just Luke chapter 2, right? In the Peanuts Christmas special, when Linus says, this is the true meaning of Christmas. You see, he's not wrong. He wasn't going to read the whole book of Luke. But for us who can, we know that there's more to Christmas just than what happened at the manger scene with the humble birth of Christ. But that it continues, it goes on that he grew up, and that he showed us, that he walked and taught and touched us and healed us to forgive us and was crucified, and that he rose again, and he's now alive at the right hand of the Father eternally. You see, Jesus is mighty to save. He's alive today. He's living and active, and he is inviting us to reconsider the things that we take for granted in life, in order to invite us into his presence, to bring us into his kingdom, a different kind of life all together. 
as I was thinking about this, thinking about Advent, we use the word waiting during Advent. But as I thought about it and repentance, I wanted to ask, what are we waiting for? We talk about waiting in Advent. What are we waiting for? Do we only wait in Advent to celebrate Jesus at the manger in Luke chapter 2? Is this all we're waiting for? Is it wrong to wait to celebrate that? No, absolutely not, because that's the start of the story. But this isn't the whole story, is it? This is only part of it, the beginning of it. And if we stop at just meeting Jesus at the manger, I'm afraid that while we wait and prepare, it becomes easier for us to stay at a distance, to go and visit him and, and drop off the gift at Christmas, so to speak, but then walk away unchanged if we don't have the bigger picture in mind. So having said this, what are we waiting for? What if during Advent, while we wait, while we prepare, we're waiting and preparing for the day that is yet to come, when we will see Jesus actually for real, <laughs> face to face, to be in the presence of the holy God that we were just singing about, that he will welcome us in, in his glory, in his power, in his justice, in his eternal light forevermore. That is also what we wait for in Advent. I want to remind us of this, that during Advent, we prepare for far more than just December 25th. We prepare our hearts for eternity, right? For the glory of Jesus, for his second and final return to earth, which will not be in a manger, but it will be on clouds of glory. So don't hear me wrong. Yes, of course, Christmas is about his birth, and we do dwell on that, but we also should internally prepare for that day where we will literally stand in his presence to fall at his feet, worship him as the king. So let us prepare during Advent by changing, by rearranging the parts of our own lives which are not aligned with his kingdom, the kingdom of God which will soon be fulfilled in Jesus' return. And again, I hope that as you're hearing this, you're not thinking, all right, now it's time to feel like guilty and, and shameful or whatever and beat myself up. These tendencies don't usually even result in change, do they? They just, it's a cycle where, where, where we uh, feel bad about something and don't progress towards um, actual goodness. So that's not what we're talking about when I say change and repentance. Instead, I'm talking about making the changes that actually remove the barriers that hinder us from an intimate relationship with God and with people around us. To allow the Holy Spirit miraculously to actually take those things away from us so that we can be closer to Jesus in this time.
And it's funny to talk about change at Christmas, isn't it? Uh, Christmas is a time where our traditions are uh, in full force for many of us, and, and those traditions kind of highlight just how afraid we tend to be of change for whatever reason, and it's different uh, for all of us. Change can be difficult, uh, painful even. But in the case of repentance, let us remember that we are changing towards something better. We're letting go of that which, which holds us back, and we're running towards the goal, the prize of Christ, changing for the better. And it's important to do. Uh, Timothy Keller even goes so far as to suggest that this act of repentance is the key to feeling God's presence in our lives. That stopped me, and I had to think about it, because um, many of us, I'd say all of us, if we're honest, um, at different times, lack the, the feeling or experience of God's presence in our lives, and that's normal. But what if repentance was the key to that experience, to, to feeling closer to God? Think about that. So I invite you to do that, to, to turn to God um, and to do it in really in rejoicing, to receive the invitation of repentance, um, not as a burden, not as guilt and shame, but as, as the gift that it is, a thing which brings us closer to God to, in, in our relationship with Him. Because when we repent, we are promised that He receives us into His love to continue maturing us in the goodness of Him in our lives and our hearts. Second oh, Corinthians 3.18 describes what we're talking about in this way. He says, We all with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror at the glory of God and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord who is the Spirit. So we look to Jesus. We choose to do that. And if we're not, we change in order to see him. Not fully at this time, but we prepare, and in the process, we're transformed from glory to glory. This is from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So before we conclude, to do this, I want to ask some questions. We'll play a game, actually. Um, this game is called Bad Christmas Bingo. Okay? <laughs> and I might get in trouble for this. Um, bad Christmas bingo. Um, because you see, we all have different reasons that if we allow them at this season, we'll subtract from what we've been talking about. We'll take away from our Christmas. So you're allowed right now to think of the thing that you like the least about Christmas. Bring it to mind. There are common things for each of us that if we let them, we'll just suck the joy from our experience, will distract us, discourage us, depress us even during Christmas. And all joking aside, there are real things that discourage us at this time, right? Serious things. Big things. There's small things too. But there's big ones that make Christmas really difficult. And it's understandable when you start to think about them. Um, so, first of all, the easy target would be commercialism, 
Oh my goodness, commercialism. This was the problem that Charlie Brown <laughs> was depressed about was how commercial Christmas was. And the bad news is that since the 1960s, I don't think we've moved past this. Ironically, the Peanuts uh, Christmas story has become a multi-million dollar industry <laughs> of itself every year, um, which I love, so uh, whatever. But anyways, it's easy to be like Charlie Brown and say, oh my goodness, like, look at all this. All this commercialism. Even my dog is um, <laughs> ruining Christmas with his silly decorations and so on and so forth. But there's two sides to this problem, of course, as there is with all of the holiday problems that I'm going to highlight. Um, first of all, if you've made Christmas more about, if that's you, if that's me, if I've made Christmas more about the material stuff than about Jesus, there's an invitation right away to shift my focus from those distractions, right, and to place them on Jesus, who, who is the reason for the season, as, as we say. So some of us need to repent in that way and make Jesus more, or make Christmas more about Jesus. By the way, you can't take Christ out of Christmas. <laughs> I've said that before, but like people are like, they're taking Christ out of Christmas. You can't. I mean, you can kind of like ignore it or whatever, but it's, it's his coming, right? It's, it's, it's about him. So you miss out if you don't dwell on that. Anyways, the other side of the problem, though, of the complaints about commercialism is the, the more self-righteous one. Right, where if we refuse to enjoy any celebration at Christmas because our culture is making it all about commercialism, then we're actually kind of too focused on what's bothering us than we are focused on Jesus in the first place and we're really no better off than those who we think are in the wrong. Right? So if anti-commercialism distracts you from embracing Christ and enjoying Christmas, then that might be something for us to reflect on and to quit letting that ruin our day and to turn to God and just embrace the joy of knowing him and the birth of his son and what he's done, okay? So that's kind of an easy one. A common complaint about Christmas is, oh, it's so commercial, or it's all about money or gifts or whatever, Another one, though, maybe you are like many of us, where Christmas is really difficult because of things like loneliness or loss, right? A painful experience for, for people all around, including lots of us here today, right? We hear all the Christmas songs uh, about family and fun and just all the great stuff that it's supposed to involve, and we think, well, I don't, you know, that's not my experience. Christmas sucks. That's, right? I'm alone. For those of us who feel these things, I pray that in spite of that, you don't stop yourself from continuing to run to Jesus in this season, right? To not let our enemy lie to you in those experiences, but rather to remember that we do have a Savior 
who is with us in this time and beyond, and who has experienced these things above and beyond, that we are not alone with Jesus. We're brought close to God. So we turn to Jesus at Christmas, even and especially when we are dealing with painful thoughts and feelings, because he dwells among us, Emmanuel, God with us. On the other hand, maybe you dislike Christmas, not because you are alone, but because you don't get to be alone. (laughs) All those annoying relatives, the family drama, the pain of being an introvert in a hot room in a Christmas sweater and feeling like you're going to (laughs) die. Oh, this is one of the things that for many causes a very real kind of Christmas blues, right? Let's remember that Christmas is not about those dreaded gatherings that we get to or have to attend or anything like that. That is not the sum of this holiday season. It may be something that is hard to experience. I know about that. But don't let these feelings overshadow, again, that wondrous presence of Jesus Christ with us that God caused for us at Christmas. I think this game of of bad Christmas bingo could go on and on, but I don't want my sermon to be one of the things that's on your list of what you hate about Christmas. (laughs) So I won't belabor the point, but I hope you hear what I'm saying, that if you think about whatever it is that comes to mind for you that overshadows what Jesus did when he came to this world, that is a thing which in your own spirit you are invited to change for something better in this time of waiting. And the situation, as is often the case, may not even change. We may continue to experience the hard stuff um, over the holidays. I know that. But again, what Christmas speaks of, the hope, the joy, the peace, the presence, you can't take that away Nothing can stop what God accomplished and is going to accomplish through his son, Jesus. And so as Christians, this is what we cling to and what is our, our hope and our focus as we prepare. So whatever distracts us, whatever is distraction, uh, distracting, we hear the Holy Spirit as he leads us to lay them aside, to hand them back to God, knowing that he can handle them, and to simply run to Jesus. And as we do this, again and again, or maybe for the first time, we find the Son of God in the manger, like the angels were singing and saying he would be. We also find Jesus in glory, at the right hand of God, with those same angels singing of his majesty today, the resurrected Christ the one who lives, the one who offers to each of us the same life as a gift as we repent and believe the good news of the kingdom of heaven. 
there's a song that I wanted to just read a, a, a small part of. It's not a Christmas song, but it's a great Advent song. You may have heard it before. The hymn, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Listen to these words. O soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's a light for a look at the Savior and life more abundant and free. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Let's pray. Oh God, I give you thanks that Christmas is about more than we can even imagine it to be. I thank you that no one can take Christ out of Christmas. No one can undo the wonder of what you have done, no matter how hard we try. Because, God, you came, you lived the absolutely perfect life to show us what it means to know and be known by you, our Heavenly Father. Let us respond with celebration to the glory of Jesus as we continue, not just in this season, God, but in life, a life of worship. Lord, even as we struggle and consider the things at this time of year that we maybe would rather not think about, I thank you for your tenderness, for your grace, your acceptance, how you draw us near to you, for you are God with us. And as we reflect on what it means to repent and to change, Father, I thank you that you take our sin, you even take our sorrows, Lord, in the power of your name, Jesus. So, Father, help us to continue to Repent, Father, to turn to you, to choose to look upon Jesus today and always, to change for the better, for the things which you are offering us instead of that which we are holding on to. We want to surrender our whole lives to the glory of you, God, for you to use us in your kingdom. In the name of Jesus, in the power of your Holy Spirit, we pray these things. Amen.